Hey everyone, my name is Pastor Dina and thank you so much for joining us for Northeast Christian Church Online Services. Please be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms to keep up to date with all that's going on here in our church. Also, if you would like to rewatch today's sermon, you can look us up on Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Podcast. Well, thank you and enjoy the rest of service. Today's service is sponsored by Dunkin' Donuts. And uh, I'm like the mayor of Dunkin' Donuts. I love Dunkin' Donuts. As you were coming in, you may have uh, seen some stuff that's on the table out there and wondering what in the world is this? They're actually uh, genuine, like limited replicas of the Dead Sea Scrolls, what they actually look like. So if you can't get to Israel, uh, that's a, and you are wondering what they look like, they're out there at the hospitality center and they have a description, but here's the amazing thing. The oldest version of the Old Testament that we had dated back to the time of the Crusades for the longest period of time. And everybody for forever is always saying there's something wrong with Christianity, there's something wrong with the faith, it's incorrect, the Bible's not correct, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, a kid throws a rock into a cave, here's a crash, and out comes every book of the Bible of the Old Testament except for Esther and for, uh, I think it was uh, Nehemiah every book of the Old Testament, and lo and behold, guess what we have? The same Bible. And we shaved a thousand years off of the oldest Bible we ever had, and still it was in keeping and consistent with what we had. And so it's just an amazing thing. I say that because we'll be talking about scribes at some point today, but it's just a cool little thing. We want to actually put up a display somewhere in the church of how did we get from stuff like that to the Bible that you hold in your hand and that journey of all of these kind of things. Some of you will be like, who cares? I just got my Jesus in my Bible and just keep it simple. And that's, that's cool, that's okay. Uh, but all of the different Bibles and versions that are out there, I love them all. I love the King James. I love the new King James because it, it just simplifies it and makes it flow in English more. I love the uh, NIV, the RSV. I like the NIV pre uh, 1984. The new one is now we're seeing translations begin to do some things that are culturally impacted. But in simple, what's the best Bible, the original language? But if you can't have that, you'd read through a couple of different versions, and sometimes they just kind of shine out in a way that gives your life and your heart comfort and um, will hopefully help you take that journey to see how it makes more sense. So uh, before I go any further, there were two announcements that we didn't get a chance to put out there for you. Normally we don't do this, um, but uh, uh, it's in this situation, this is, um, it actually is a really a helpful thing and a good thing. So first of all, there are some members that are dedicated to this church who have been uh, not evicted, but their landlord, what you're finding now is people are selling their, their, their multi-units and saying, we'll do this provided that everybody that's living in the house is out by the time we take ownership of it. So it's not an eviction, it's just a closing condition. And so they are looking for a place uh, that is inexpensive, large, and here's, here's the catch, it, it has to allow cats. Everyone go, meow. <laughs> I'm more of a dog person myself, but... Um, but that, that just to put that there, if, if you, you could be an answer to somebody's prayer, let us know at the church and uh, contact the church and we'll let the person know. Here's another thing for you. Uh, when I turned 12, my dad said, get a job. 
And so uh, we've got a really great job, full-time hours with benefits in Billerica, doing cleaning for 10-hour days, and then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. And so if that interests you with benefits, um, let us know. You can see why we normally don't do this, but, but this is actually, these were good things, and we could be an answer to somebody's prayer, and this job opportunity could be an answer to somebody's prayer. And so I say to you, like my dad said, get a job. Get a job. If you ain't got one, get a job. There, and we just offered one to you. Would you join me in prayer as we prepare to talk today about how to answer religious questions like Jesus? How to answer religious questions like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would fill this room with clarity, fill this room with authority, fill it with your presence. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would fill the word of God. I pray you give us eyes for eternity. Give us eyes for eternity. Help us to see that heaven is real, that hell is real, that eternal life is real, and that, Lord, that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. We pray these things. Lord, I pray today somebody would give their life to you and be with you for all eternity because of the truth that we're speaking online and speaking in-house. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I am uh, going to grab the slideshow. Forgive me, I needed to be prepared for this, and I wasn't. I've got pretty much everything that they need up there, and I'm going to let them do their dealio, but at some point I can't turn it. We'll just do the typical finger flick. But I want to read for you from the book of Luke as we talk about continuing through this series of Luke. And this one, last week we talked about, uh, we talked about truth. The week before we talked about how to answer political questions. Now, now I'd like to take a look at how Jesus answered a religious question. It's really in the part of Luke that we're in, and we're coming to a close with this series here, but in the part of Luke that we're in, we're in what we call the Passion Week, pretty much. We're coming up to the time where Jesus is at the temple, he's doing a ministry, He's doing public ministry. He's speaking. The crowds are on his side. He's about to, he's letting truth fall where it may. Uh, he's stepping on toes. He's, he's doing his thing, and he's not apologizing for it. And pretty much, you want to talk about, uh, hey, don't be offensive. Jesus is offending everybody because truth does that sometimes. And so he, it says that they looked for a way to kill him. Hear those words. They looked for a way to kill him. Have you ever had somebody say, I'm going to kill you? That's a, that, that like, in theory is one thing. When somebody is like, we want to kill him, that, that can terrify you. They say to Jesus, they go, we are going to kill you. We want to kill you. And, but it says that they couldn't do it because the crowds were on his side. You see, Jesus was actually a popular movement. And John the Baptist was a popular movement. And John the Baptist, they had killed. Herod killed him. And everybody, everybody was like, this is, this is disgusting. It's like, it's criminal. It's murder. How could they do this? You know, the Herods, they claimed to be Jewish, but they acted like, like pagans. And all of the people that were running the temple in the time of Jesus, you're going to see from the passages that we look at, were actually about as corrupt as the mafia. 
It's, it, there's no way around it. That's how corrupt they were. They were putting people to death. They were, they were stealing. They were overpricing things. And the interesting part of it is, is that the people that were in charge of the temple in the time of Jesus, the majority were the Sadducees. And so we're going to take a look at them. But it's, it's interesting that they go now and they try to outwit Jesus. And they ask him questions. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't ignore their questions. Hey, should we give taxes to Caesar? He says, let me see a coin. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. Boom. They asked, And the phrase over and over again in chapter 20 is, and they asked him no more questions, right? Like you ever have somebody that just shuts it down? Boom. Then afterwards, now the Sadducees come up to him. And they throw a question at him. And it's, this is where it brings us to our passage. It says this, there came, they came to him, and some of those who deny that there is, some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. Think about that. They're Sadducees. They're a group of Jews, but they don't believe in the afterlife. Don't believe it. That's like about as secular as you can get. And saying, I'm a believer, I just don't believe that there's life after death. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and no children, that that man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her. Likewise, all seven left no children and died. I think the appropriate question here shouldn't have been the one they were asking, but should have been, why did brother number three, four, five, six, and seven married a woman? Right? <laughs> well, they said this, now the brother, there were seven brothers, da, 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 da. sorry, I thought the joke was funny and I got lost. Ain't funny anywhere. Afterwards, the woman dies. The woman dies now. In the resurrection, do you hear the irony of that? They don't even believe in the resurrection, but they're asking a question about resurrection. Have you ever had someone ask you a disingenuous question or a insincere question? Hey, you're a Christian. What do you think? Do you think I'm going to heaven? You ever get those kind of, like, you can tell with the tone, with the way that they're asking. And they're throwing at him. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will this woman be? For seven had her as wife, and Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to the age of the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die, and because they are equal to angels and the sons of God, being sons of the resurrection, but that the dead are raised. So the way that that is phrased in English doesn't sound good. It's kind of basically him saying, but let's, let's, talk about the let's talk about the dead being raised for a second since you brought it up. That's literally what Jesus is doing here. But since you bring up the resurrection and the dead are raised, let me make a point. He says this, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, the burning bush, where he calls the Lord, the Lord God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is the God of the dead. He is not the God, I'm sorry, now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. See, Jesus now just says, well, since you brought it up, let me answer your religious question 
And he refers to Moses at the burning bush. This is interesting because the Sadducees did not believe in the prophets being scripture. They did not believe in the historical books like First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Ruth. They didn't believe any of those things. And uh, is that Scott Maga back there? How you doing, buddy? He was, I saw somebody waving, and so that's what happens when you distract me. I'm preaching here. Can you, come on. No, go ahead, take a seat, buddy. Seriously. Oh, okay, you wait. Well, good man. Good. Let's give it up for a man that waits for his wife in the back, huh? All right. Good to see you, cousin. All right. So then look at what happens right after this. But he said, uh, then all of a sudden it says, it says that some scribes answered. Now, who, in the, who are the scribes? That's what that child's asking. Who are the scribes? Teacher, uh, you have spoken well for no longer, uh, and it's a, it says that no, for they no longer dared to answer him a question. And then Jesus said to them, now, so forgive my confusion there. So basically he puts the Pharisees, or the Sadducees, he puts the Sadducees in their place. God speaks in present tense. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. I'm speaking in the present tense, which means they are alive. They do live. They are alive, even though they're dead. And he deals with it. And then the scribes are over there. And in, book, in the book of Matthew, it says the Pharisees. So they're a group that does believe most all the same things that Jesus does, believe it or not. The Pharisees and the, and Jesus were like cousins in their Judaism in certain ways when it comes to the Judaism. And so they're like, you spoke well, master. Thank you for putting him. Thank you for putting them in their place. And so Jesus says, well, let me ask you, let me say something to you. He says, uh, but then he said to them, this is to the scribes, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. David calls him Lord, so how can he be David's son? Now, that one's a little bit difficult because we're so ingrained to say, the Messiah must be the son of David, and he is the son of David. He is after the heart of son of David. But if you look at the, the genealogies of Jesus in the book of Matthew. It says the son of this, the son of that, the son of Joseph, Jesus, the son of Joseph, or so it was presumed. It goes from David to Joseph. Jesus's Davidic line is not from Mary. It's from Joseph. But Jesus is a king like after the heart of David, and he's from that line. You got your, you got your, your titles and your, your privileges from your father as king, but you got your Judaism from your mother. That's how it works. And so G, what Jesus is saying is, is you're so anxious as a Pharisee looking for some king that's going to raise up that can trace his lineage back to David, who is going to go through the political system, kick out the Sadducees, kick out Rome, put in an army in place that Israel becomes the greatest nation on the face of this earth, and you just miss the very fact that even though they don't believe in the afterlife, you're too fixed on this life. Do you track <laughs> it's, it's a complex kind of a thing, but these two people... How do you answer 
a question, a religious question, because they get asked of us all the time, and Jesus gives us great examples of this. Let me just give you something you wouldn't get most places. Let me explain to you who the Sadducees were, where they came from. They believed that they were descended from the high priesthood of Zadok. He was the high priest in the time of King David. He was the godly one. The other one fell off the wagon, so to say, and Zadok was the one, this priest Zadok was the priest of priests. It was David's priest. He was the man. He was, and so they traced their lineage all the way back there. So they were this, this priestly uh, group of people. And not all Sadducees, uh, not all Sadducees were priests, and not all priests were Sadducees. In fact, if you think about John the Baptist, his father was working in the temple as a priest, but they gave birth to John, and he became the, the messenger to prepare the way for the Lord, and he was, a, he was a godly man. So it doesn't mean that every priest was corrupt. But for the most part, the core group of people that were in charge of the temple, they were at the time of Jesus, they were Sadducees and they were running the show and they were running it corrupt. They only believed in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah, the Pentateuch, and they only believed in that and that was it. So imagine a life where you live yourself and you're living out your rules, but you don't believe that there's life after death which Jesus points out, yes, it's spoken of in the Old Testament in those books, but you shut off the voice of the prophets. You never listen to a rebuke. You never allow anyone like the prophets or their writings to correct your life. You don't give attention to history because the only history that matters is the one that you're making because you just simply have to go through life and you only live once and just that's it. And so in the Old Testament, you have this Davidic line and then we have the Jews being scattered and they come back in the time of Jesus and Rome's in place, but there's this big space in between called the intertestamental period that most of us never really learn about or know about. But let me put it to you in simple. I'm going to give you the simplest. If I say Maccabees, you know what I'm talking about. The group of Jews that fought against the Greeks, and they were called Maccabees is basically Greek for the word for hammer. They pounded, they hammered them, and they took back their country. In simple, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Jewish people take their country back from the Greeks and they hold on to it only long enough to watch Herod take it away on behalf of the Romans. And for a little sliver of life, they were the country, the nation of Israel in this in-between time. In between that time, we see all of these groups of Judaism pop up, these scenes who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls the Pharisees, the Hasidim, the pious ones. We see uh, the Zealots. We see the Sadducees. And so in simple, what happened is they came in and they took the priesthood and there was so much corruption in the temple because of the Sadducees that a group of people rose up and said, I know that priests can only serve in the temple I know that priests can only offer sacrifices. I know that it's priests' job to write the, scro the scrolls and the Torah, and they're supposed to be teaching the people, but they're not teaching the people. In fact, one, one person stood up and said, if it's up to them, they're going to throw the, the sacred scripture in a corner and in a garbage pile and not treat it with respect, and nobody's going to learn. And it's out of this this vacuum that the Pharisees say, if you won't do your job teaching God and his people, the word of God, we will. 
And so whenever you hear the word Pharisee, you instantly equate it with these are the bad guys, but it's not necessarily true. It was Joseph of Arimathea, a Pharisee, who did not consent to the death of Jesus, who also asked for the body of Jesus back from Pilate, which is something that his disciples wouldn't even do. Not all priests were Sadducees, but not all Pharisees were, were bad per se. I think that that's what the Reformation was all about, the priesthood of all believers. You see, it's not just my job to share Jesus with others. It's not my privilege. It's your privilege. It's just not my privilege to be able to share God's word. It's your privilege to share God's word with people, with your family, with your children, and all of, that, all of those things. God says, listen, here, here it is. And they hand it over to the people who were supposed to restore godliness. And instead, they became corrupted. They became purchased. They became secular, and everything that was precious and true to God's people, they threw to the side. And that's the Sadducees. They controlled the high priesthood. In fact, Josephus, he talks about these people. Look at this. Talking about the Sadducees. They're in charge of Jerusalem. They're in charge of the bank of Israel because that's where all the money goes. And it says the Sadducees are able to persuade none but the rich and have not the popular support to them, but the Pharisees have the multitude on their side. So something you need to understand about Pharisees and Sadducees, Sadducees were, or Pharisees were the heroes of the people and they were like, we're gonna talk about God's word. We're gonna do the teachings. They carried it a little bit too far and they had their problems. The reason why they would wash their hands before they would eat was because the priests would do that before they went in the temple. And they said, we're not priests, but we want to honor holiness and the code of holiness. And they would do all this kind of stuff that Jesus was like, why are you doing that? You're like, why are you doing that? That's, that's, that's not even the point. People are the point. But the Sadducees, forget it. These people are corrupt. Now, I'm about to show you how corrupt they are. You ready? Picture paints a thousand words. If you came over to my house, or if I went to your house in the time of Jesus, we would have been living like this, and this would have been a pitcher lemonade, or iced tea, or Arnold Palmer's lemon iced tea. Tang, for those of you that remember that. But if I went to a Sadducee's house, this was found in one of their homes, you'd be pouring from something like that. Bling, bling, bling. And let me tell you what, there's a difference between buying fine china, which we enjoyed yesterday as we celebrated uh, Dil Pastor Dylan and Monica's um, Jack and Jill kind of party, and there was fine china that was there. And I was like, this is nice. Like, I, I, you know, I'm used to, like, you know, hey, what can I say? So I felt classy for a moment, but, like, this is, like, over the top. And I'd be pouring you the lemonade out of this. They'd be pouring it out of that. This is Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. To the left is where you and I would be living. In that middle section is where the Pharisee, the Sadducees would live. Look at this. This is what our house would look like. This is what the inside of my house would look like. This is what the outside of the Sadducees' house would look like. In fact, they didn't have homes. They had whole complexes. Here's archaeology of one of them. And actually, what you're looking at here is where you would get the lemonade served to you. Are you starting to see the point here, how, how incredibly enriched they were because of the corruption of the system that they set up and controlled with it? Their floors weren't just regular floors, they had mosaics. They had something in their homes that nobody had, bathtubs. They had on the wall 
I used to think that paneling was really fancy in the 70s. Remember that era? And plastic on the furniture so we could preserve it. Remember that in August with no AC? Like, what were we thinking, right? Well, everybody has fashions and stuff like this, but this is the wall of, the, of Sadducee's house. That's a fresco. Now, you and I can just totally paint our walls. We can do it. Back then, that wasn't the case. The only other place you see a home like this with these kind of walls is in the palace of King Herod. They're restoring one of them, but in the distance, you can see the background, how it was before and on the pillars. They were, they were living like kings. They did not care about people because all that mattered was your life. They were corrupt. They were, in fact, the very people who were in charge of the temple were Sadducees. Caius, Caiaphas and Annas, who are mentioned as the high priests in the time of Jesus, who are Sadducees. And basically, they, have enri they enriched their life so much. Think about this. They enriched their life so well. They buffered themselves so well that all of a sudden their life and their theology had nothing to do with the well-being of others. It only had to do with the enriching of themselves. Now, right at this point, this is where we're like, yeah, rich people are bad, right? There's a truth about Nicodemus, the man who asked for the body of Jesus. He's not just written about in the Bible. He's written about outside of the Bible. Two stories of these two people, just so you get the picture for the rest of your life whenever you read Sadducee, how messed up these people were. Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, his son-in-law, who he really ruled through all the way from Jesus' birth, clear through Jesus, the, the persecution of the apostles. He just kind of used his son-in-laws. In fact, sons and son-in-laws, he used five of them to retain power for six, six phases of the high priesthood. He was just using them. He was just using them. And during that time, he used, he used to go to people who were gathering in the grain. And what you would do is, is in these days, you would gather in your harvest and you would put it and you would thresh it. You would separate the wheat from the, the sawdust and, the, and the, the straw. And then you would get it in a pile and you would take the very first of that, one-tenth of the first of it, one-tenth, you would set that aside and you would bring it to the Lord in the temple. The priests would receive it. It would go to take care of the, the, the running of the temple, the priests uh, and their life because they didn't own uh, businesses. They didn't own farms. They didn't, they didn't have any of that. Then it went to feeding the poor. It was stored in there for feeding the poor. It was stored in there to sell off for the maintenance of the temple. All these things came from that pile of grain. And Annas, what he would do is he would send people to the threshing floor when they were gathering it, and he would demand that they give it to his representatives, and they would take it and fill his barns. In fact, when Jesus is talking in the Gospels and he says, he says that there's a rich man and he sees that his harvest is well and he says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my silos and I'll build bigger silos and I'll have even more grain. He's most likely speaking that as a contradiction to Annas, to Annas the high priest who's responsible through his son-in-law Caiaphas who kills Jesus. They weren't just corrupt. They were rotten to the core. 
They're beating up people. They literally had the reputation of beating up people, taking the grain so that it wouldn't go to the temple. It would go into his storehouse. And Josephus writes it like this. And he would send thugs to the threshing floor to gather the tithe before they brought it there and put it in his storehouse while he watched his own fellow priests starve to death. That's disgusting. That's how disgusting this guy was. Now, I don't know if that's an exaggerated legend, but if it's true, that is about as corrupt as you could get, that you're letting people die in front of you of starvation while you're benefiting off of them. That's called a mortgage broker. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I worked in that business for years, so I'm, I can pull that off. Someone's like, wow. <laughs> Nicodemus. Come back to him real quick. So you know this for the rest of your life when you read about Nicodemus and the Sadducees. Nicodemus had many fields up near Cana, up in the Galilee, up where Jesus began his ministry. And he said, it said that he, he had a full storehouse. And after Jesus had resurrected and the disciples began to move the gospel out, the Jews rose up against Rome and brought war upon themselves. And it says that Nicodemus, the man who is a Pharisee, who asked Jesus, what must I do to be born again? He also is the man who took all that he had and emptied his silos to feed the poor. And he continued doing that. And he was murdered in cold blood by his own people. And in turn, his daughter continued to do what he did until the entire land was wiped out. There's a big difference between Nicodemus and Caius and Anaphis. One of them is saying, the next life doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how I live my life. In fact, over one of the tombs, I got to get that ringtone. Over one of the tombs of a Sadducee, it has this inscription, enjoy your life. Because basically and simple, there is nothing else. You know, when I think about Nicodemus and I think about Caiaphas, Annas, the Sadducees, and how they went from being the royal priesthood of God to being corrupted by just keeping their eyes on this life, so much so that it began to cause them to look at the next life and throw it off, I'm like, man, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. It is so important. Now, right now, you guys are like, okay, this is cool. I feel like I'm in a lecture hall. But you'll never, you as a church, we as an, as an online group, we, we know who the Sadducees are and what they're made of now. And we know the quality of a guy like Nicodemus. But here's, here's the amazing part of this. What you believe and what you allow to lord itself over you will dictate your behavior and your beliefs. And your beliefs matter because they dictate your behavior. If you believe that all there is is this life, then you're going to live your life in such a way where at first you're going to be kind to other people because you don't want them to think, hey, this is all there is, and I might as well take, I've, I've had, I've had a good things happen to me, I might as well help somebody, but I'm going to make sure my family, to where you can move so far where it's like, it doesn't matter how I live my life because I'm not going to be judged for my life. 
And that's literally who was in charge of the temple at the time of Jesus. And when he comes in and he flips the table and he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves. That's what he's speaking to, the corruption of these people. And the difference between Nicodemus and them is, is that your beliefs will determine your behavior. Nicodemus, I think that that, don't you, doesn't it sound like that Jesus' words of what it must be to be born again, they stuck. And, he, he, and here you've got the priesthood, the very people who want to shut Jesus up and they put him to death. It didn't stick with them. What I believe determines my behavior, my theology impacts my deeds. And I want to tell you here this morning that Jesus is Lord and he rose from the dead. Eternity is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Because tell you what, I know how to have a good time. I know how to spend my time to, to, to bring pleasure to myself. And just like how it says of the, of the pagan world in Paul's day, he said, hey, let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But I imagine if you're watching this or you're in this room, you either are fully bought into or you're starting to awaken the idea to say, is Jesus who he said he is? Is eternity what it says it is? Is this thing real? Could it be possible? Is there a life after life? Is, is Jesus who he said he was? Is the way that I conduct myself in this life that I will stand before God and be judged for it? Does, does what I believe and what Jesus teach, is that binding for me, not just in a belief, but in my behavior? And we talked about this last week with truth. Truth is one of those things that it, det it, 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 it has to be impacted on your behavior. It's not enough just to say, Jesus is my Lord, I prayed the prayer, I'm forgiven. But John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, just don't read it in the book and say, yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know, no, Lord, forgive me, or whatever. There comes a point where God says, no, I'm sorry, you're willfully living in this way. And now at that point, you have a choice to, say, to make. And it's a choice, I think, that the Sadducees made for themselves. They said, they said, you know what? Let's just focus on the here and now. I don't even know if it's real. It's amazing. You know, for people that grew up around faith, it's, it's a different thing for people who maybe didn't grow up in a house of faith, but for people who grew up around the faith, you, you can find yourself all of a sudden years later, way over in this other place, and you think about the memories of how you knew what it was like to be close to Jesus and sense the presence of God and hear the Lord speak to you and desire to do what he says in his word. And now you find yourself in a place way over tucked out in the middle of nowhere here. Sorry, camera guy. Um, the, and, and you're like, how did I get here? You got here one decision at a time, one degree at a time. You, your values, your beliefs, you began to live them out, and you said, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know. And if, if you don't believe there's an afterlife, look at the difference of a tomb. If you go to a typical average person's tomb, that's what it looks like. This is the, the tomb of, Chi of Caiaphas, the man who's responsible of putting Jesus to death. Here's a guy that doesn't even believe in the afterlife, and look at the bling on that thing. It's almost like, are you kidding me? Are you ridiculous? And how is it that the very establishment that's supposed to represent justice and godliness and holiness, the priesthood, became so corrupt that Jesus flipped a table and that they plotted a plan and say, we need to shut him up permanently or he is going to ruin our church Ponzi scheme. 
The corruption of who these people were is beyond belief. The evil that they were willing to do and yet pretend to be the representatives of God, it was, it's, it's mind-blowing. How do I get, how did I, I mean, let me tell you what, even as a pastor, like sometimes you just find a passion just drifts from you. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, those things you were passionate for, those things you were dedicated to, you find yourself over here and you're like, how did, how did I get here? If you lost, if you lost a nickel, how many of you no longer bend down to pick up pennies? I want to thank you because I'm getting rich. Slow, slowly. But I'm getting rich. I see money, I grab it. But you don't bend down to pick up that penny because it's not valuable to you. Now let me ask you another question. If the diamond on your, in your ring fell off, how many of you would look like crazy for that? You see the difference of what you do when you value something. See, God's word is a treasure. God's truth is a treasure. And if you don't treasure that, you won't be in it. And if you won't in it, you're not in it, you won't hear it. And if you're not in all in, you won't change your life to conform to it. You'll start cutting out pages proverbially from it, skip over sections, reinterpret passages. How did the Sadducees get to where they're able to ask Jesus a question about the resurrection of the dead and they didn't even believe in it? And they represented the entire country before God and they didn't even believe that it mattered? It's because what we treasure, our beliefs matter. Your beliefs matter. Our belief, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe in his word, the scriptures, and he's left us behind a book that we could and I could look critically and compare manuscripts and tell you, well, you know, this was probably the right one, this probably wasn't, this was added, the, you know, I, I, but that doesn't matter. You've got, you've got God's word in a lot of different versions. Is it collecting dust? Is it, is it dictating your actions? Is it correcting your anger and your attitude? Is it, is it making you look at something that you're doing and saying, I know this is sin and it needs to go from my life? Or are you glossing over that verse and turning a blind eye to bitterness, unforgiveness, sexual immorality, rage? I mean, we could go on all day. Here's the point of some of the things I think we can learn from Jesus regarding these guys. Is to ask, to answer a religious question like Jesus did, I think there are a couple of practical things that could come from this. How many of you get asked this religious questions at work? Two, three, four, five, you know. I, as a pastor, always get these whenever I go to a wedding. They come out in a wedding, not a funeral. Funeral, everyone's dialed in, but a wedding? Hey, pastor, what do you think about me drinking scotch and going to heaven? You know? (laughs) 
you can tell when somebody's asking that kind of crazy question, but what do you do? How do you handle people? I think there's a couple of lessons. I think Jesus shows us that we should be willing to answer insincere questions, but to do it sincerely. Um, it's easy to kind of flip the switch and shut somebody off, but Jesus, he was willing to answer insincere questions, but sincerely. Don't avoid questions just because someone is disingenuous. The Sadducee question was about a truth they didn't even believe in. They didn't even believe in the resurrection. People will ask you about things they don't even believe in, to mock you, to trap you. But the questions, by their tone, you can tell them, but the answer, even if someone may not uh, believe what you're saying, you should be able to be willing to, to answer. Answer even if you lack the words. There's a beautiful parable. Now, he, this is talking about there. People will ask us about, do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? Well, maybe they're asking out of insincerity just to be like, do you think I'm going to heaven? Do you think I'm going to hell? Jesus still was willing to ask, answer that question, and he was still willing to talk about it. But there's a beautiful story of a butterfly that landed on an oak tree. And the oak tree says, man, this valley has changed so much through the years. And the butterfly said, what? He goes, you're ridiculous. He goes, I've been here my whole life, and I haven't seen it change once. Flies away. You might think that the response that you give is worthless, but the truth of the matter is, is that this truth of Jesus and resurrection is 2,000 years with Jesus, 4,000 years with the writings of Scripture, and way longer with God talking to man prior to that. You think, let me ask you a question. Do you think you're the same person and you think the same way that you did when you were 12 years old? Of course not. It's kind of ridiculous how arrogant humanity can be in the little blip of our existence to think that we have everything figured out. And if you're willing to answer someone, even if they're being insincere, it's still worth it because you never know how long that answer will gnaw at them. I think that Nicodemus's conversation with Jesus gnawed at him, so much so that he walked right into the palace of Herod and asked for the body of Jesus. You may, now I think, I think, Nic, I think that Nicodemus's question was sincere, but you never know. And I think that it's important that we answer those things. Some answers are like a light bulb, bing, and then others are like a sunrise. Every single one of us, whether you're online or you're in here, have people that you know and love that you are hoping will get it someday. And the fact is, is that some people's awakening to the truth is like a sunrise. It just takes time, but it's getting brighter and brighter. And I think that we should be willing to answer questions, even if they're insincere, but we answer them with sincerity, even if we lack the right words. Um, sometimes I, I just, I don't feel as eloquent or like I have everything. Not everybody is looking for an intellectual answer, right? We talked about this last week when we talked about truth. If you read all of the scriptures and they say something is wrong and you just can't jump into that truth, you don't have an intellectual problem with the gospel, you have a moral problem with the gospel, right? And so I think some of us would be like, what if I say the wrong thing? I love the verse that Jesus has given us in Luke 21, a few verses later, he says this, settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom 
which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You may be the most introverted person in the planet, but you can trust the promise that Jesus said, if you're speaking up on his behalf and you speak on his behalf, whether it's to an insincere or sincere question, you can trust the fact that you don't have to have all the answers. God will put them in your mouth and you will be effective. I, I, I just want to speak to those of you that feel that way. You're like, I just don't want to say anything. I, I mean, you should talk to my pastor, right? Are you kidding? <laughs> they really won't want to do church when they talk to me, but they talk to you. Sometimes people ask you those questions not because they're insincere, but because they see the quality that you don't put your foot in your mouth. You're not over-opinionated. You're not arrogant. You're not quick to respond or give the, the blip answer. You can be a voice piece for Jesus because he will give you a mouth of wisdom that your adversaries won't be able to stand against. And here's a really practical thing. Answer and use what people know. Jesus took that passage from the first five books of the Bible, from Exodus chapter three, where Moses hears the burning bush, God speaking to him, and he says, who, who are you? I think that if you've ever seen the, if you've never seen the Prince of Egypt, you need to, but like, how many of you feel like that that moment's anointed with a burning bush? It's like, who are you? And the ground's rippling, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's like anointed. He's speaking in present tense. I'm the God of Abraham, he's right here. I'm the God of Isaac, he's right here. I'm the God of I uh, Jacob, he's right here, like, like, they're not, Joseph's here. They're not dead. It's present tense living. What did he do? He used what they understood and believed to talk to them about their question. Work with what somebody, I have this friend, no joke. In fact, I'm going to tell him to look at it. Rico, this is for you. It's my friend Rico. Everything you picture with the name when you close your eyes and say, what does a Rico look like? That's Rico, right? You, Ginger understands. She knows Rico, right? Hey, how you doing? He's always got a gold gym t-shirt on, puff popping out all over the place. And he, he laid bricks. And we went to Bible college. He laid bricks for years. And I'd be talking to him about something, you know, and Enrico would be like, and I'd be like, you know what, man? It just God wants to build up your life so that you can be a place where people can find refuge. And, you know, God wants to build you up. And, and he'd be like, what, what, what? I'd be like, Rico, it's like brickwork, right? God wants to put up a wall and then put in some windows and a roof so, like, you can throw a party in that. I was like, all right, good, yeah, I got that. I got that. I mean, work with people where they're at. Um, this is a strange thing. I would always say bring it back to Scripture. But what do you do when somebody, if, if Jesus responded with the prophets, you know, the, we're, we're so, we, God's word has authority and it's breathed, but if someone's ignoring its authority, why don't we be the gospel to somebody first? How would you answer somebody saying, I don't believe there's an afterlife. I don't believe there's a resurrection. This is all we have? How sad. I, ca I just can't picture a world with that. I'm sitting down with my father. In fact, uh, I'm going out this afternoon with a couple of people from church and... Uh, um, we're going to the casino. I'm just kidding. We're going to, we're going to actually see Maverick and uh, Top Gun to see that movie, and we're going to get a bite to eat, and we're going to actually talk. Right now, my father got rushed to the hospital last night. 
And uh, by the way, I don't go to casinos, just for the record. <laughs> Sarcasm there. My wife's not here. Good, I won't get yelled at later. Um, but uh, he got rushed to the hospital. He's, he, his oxygen level went from 94, 92, which is his you know, good days, but dropped all the way down to 72, which is, you know, you're gasping for air. And he's got pneumonia in one lung. So he's in there. And so I'm, I'm like, oh man, what am I gonna do? But I'm sitting down with my dad. My dad is stuck in the phase of grief where he keeps trying to get a 20-year-old body and it's not gonna happen. He keeps waiting for the doctor to do the right thing or give him the right medication and have the right surgery that will change everything and it's not gonna happen. And I'll watch him so frustrated hitting the table like, why, what happened? My father had more energy than any man I ever, ever knew. He said one of the few people I know who at one time worked four jobs to pay to put food on the table for us as a family. He was not a Sadducee, we were not, we were not blinging in it. And he just hadn't, I thought he'd never stop and, and here he is and he's like, I just can't accept this. And I said, dad, what if when Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, anyone who believes in me though he is dead, Yet shall he live. I said, you believe in Jesus? He goes, with all my heart. You believe he died for you for your sins? I do. You believe he rose from the dead? With all my heart. You've got the gospel there. You ask a lot of people, do you think you'll make it to heaven? I hope so. Bible says, I write these things to you that you might know that you have eternal life in Christ Jesus. But I said to my dad, I said, dad, what if we stop looking for you to get a reboot on a 20-year-old body and we start looking to the fact and the truth that God says that he's going to give you a resurrected body. He said he is the resurrection and the life. Heaven is real. Hell is real. That's a truth in our day that's under assault right now. We have people that are not comfortable with the concept of hell and so we're redefining it. Well, when somebody dies, if they're good, they'll go to heaven. If not, they'll just cease to exist. That really sounds good, because, but just because I choose a truth that I'm comfortable with or serves me like the Sadducees doesn't necessarily mean that it's truth. And that's why Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. It's so important for you to be in God's word. Just a chapter a day. Do you, you know, do you know how many things were discovered by accident? And when you begin to jump into God's word, I feel like it's almost some of the best accidental discoveries of my life. I'll read through chapters of the Bible and that I've read through several times, and then all of a sudden a truth will leap out on me, and it's like, that was, I didn't expect that. Where did that come from? Do you know the penicillin, Play-Doh, Post-it notes, and pacemakers, the thing they all have in common is that they were found by accident, by somebody trying to do something. Like, that's pretty cool, especially the Plato part. And if you look at God's word to say there's truths in there, and I might not find or discover the thing I'm looking for at the moment, like answer my question, but there's, it's filled with these intentional, accidental truths that are, have changed the world. Penicillin's changed the world. Most people were passing away at 54 back in the day. Now we, we can fight off infection. I wonder if these Sadducees rethought what Jesus said when Rome was burning and when Jerusalem was burning to the ground. I wonder if Jesus' words came back to them. I wonder if they ever rethought about him. I, 
I always think, my wife said something to me once that was just profound. She said this, she goes, Paul, I wonder when we get to heaven and we stand before Jesus and we're there because we've got the right things right. Like, your Lord, you, you died for my sins. You rose from the dead. I embrace you. You're the truth. Your grace has covered over a multitude of my sins. I continue to try to go in the right direction. I may not have it in perfection, but I come back to you. I declare war on my sin. I want change in my life. I want my life to match your word. But Jesus is going to look at you and say, hey, you know that thing that you were fixated on that you used to always talk to and argue with people about? Yeah, you had that one wrong. You had that one wrong. I wonder what things we're going to find out when we get to heaven where we were obsessed with. That God's going to say, yeah, that, that didn't matter as much as you thought. You kind of had that one wrong, but you had the core good things. Eternity. Heaven. That God will judge our life according to our deeds. Here's one that's painful for me. Every idle word will come back. I know I'm going to hear that casino joke in eternity. You know, I'm reeling myself in. And we argue over some of the stupidest stuff. I asked the worship team to come up, but when I was at uh, North Point Bible College, a big uh, debate happened between Armenian theology and Calvinism. What's interesting is this, if you look at John Calvin's writings in the Reformation, it was at a time where the church was very corrupt. They were selling places, seats for heaven called indulgences. And one of the things that they said was, you know what? We're saved by grace through faith. That's what Martin Luther said. John Calvin was like, it's sovereign. Salvation is a sovereign work of God. What people have made Calvinism and some of the things he was just, I don't think that, it, that God's forgiveness is limited to the people that choose to be forgiven. I think that God, it is God's will that, that none should perish, that whosoever, that every single person in all of humanity through all times has had an opportunity, could have an opportunity, could take advantage of an opportunity to be in eternity forever. But students were, they were fighting all about, you know, Armenian theology and Calvinism and, you know, once saved, always saved. Basically, like, it doesn't matter how you lived, you're part of the elect. And, and that, wasn't what, that wasn't what John Calvin was really talking about historically. They were selling seats in heaven, paying for people out of purgatory. In fact, uh, I think it's this, not the Sistine Chapel, maybe it's one of the famous chapels in Rome was built off of money that came in through that. I could take you to Nazareth, and before you go downstairs to the place where they say this is like a home area where Jesus was probably born, they have a little window frame of people who threw like five carat diamonds in there of just like indulgences that's still there from the Middle Ages, still there from that time of corruption. And I remember students were fighting like crazy over this and, and it was just so stupid. I'm just, I just, that's all I can say. And I just walked up to class and I, I wrote John Calvin and I wrote a whole bunch of points underneath it. And everyone's like, oh yeah, we can get into this. And then I wrote, you know, Armenian theology, and I wrote a whole bunch of points under that, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I just walked in, and I just made a T. Like, I drew a line down, and then a line over under Calvinism and Armenian theology, and a line down the middle with all those points, and I said, let me just make my point clear for the rest of the semester. I really don't care about John Calvin's theology, nor do I care about 
Armenian theology, we're going to make this class about Jesus, and this is a cross, and we're not going to bring it up here anymore. Do you understand? That's a little unfair because I kind of started the controversy in the school, but some of the things we get fixated on, I think we're going to get to heaven, and there are some things that God's going to say, yeah, that you just didn't have that, what you thought it was. But the important thing is, is are the things that, that really matter, are you there with it? Is your life in a place where you are trying to align your actions with your beliefs, or is there a disconnect between your beliefs and your behavior? That's called sin. That's a, I hate to say this. There will come a day where you and I will stand before God and we'll never have to fight that battle again. But until then, this is a battle that you need to commit with every last breath in you to say, I will live like Jesus. And when I don't, I will quickly seek his grace and his forgiveness, but I will not abide in sin. Or I will destroy my life. I will destroy my children's lives. I will destroy my grandchildren's lives. And it is never too late for you to become the person that God intended you to be. Who's Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Who cares? Resurrection is real. Last week, and I close with this, last week talked about, in truth, about a young man. Josh McDowell is a very famous apologist. And his friend, who was a very huge contributor to one of the ministries that he was a part of, very huge contributor, said to him, Josh, did you take my son out and, and talk to him about Jesus? He's grown up in the faith his whole life, but he's just not living it. He's not in alignment with it. And so he said, all right, no problem. I'll take, him, I'll take him out. And so while he's out with him, he starts talking with him. And he says, he says to him, he says, uh, you know, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, do you believe in the word of God? Yeah. He had all of his thinking correct. His orthodoxy, his right thinking was right. But he said, I just really like going out with my friends and sleeping around and getting drunk and doing drugs and and his practice, his orthopraxy of the Christian faith was just horrible. Now, it's at that point, what do you do? What's the point of the gospel? What's the point? What did Jesus die for so that he could just give us a get out of free jail card? And you know what? This is the part that I didn't tell you about last week. I want to tell you this week. It was at that moment that Josh said to him this. He said, young man, I love you. I love your father. You're like a son to me. You don't have an intellectual problem with the gospel. You have a moral problem with the gospel. That's what I told you last week. But he said this to him. He said, and if you do not change your life and your behavior, you will be separated from Jesus for all eternity in hell. He went home to his father. His father was angry. He was outraged with him. How dare you speak so harsh to my son? Why don't I? Be? And he'd been trying to speak truth into his son's life for about four, five years of this behavior. And he got so angry, he said, I will never give a penny to that ministry ever again. Two months later, that young man gave his life to Jesus Christ. And his father said, why? What, why? what happened? What did you do? And he said, because Josh was the only one that was willing to be honest enough with me to make me realize just how perilous my situation was. Let me tell you about a truth 
that the Pharisees and the, that the Sadducees played with. It's called the resurrection. Heaven is real. Jesus is real. Forgiveness is real. But when there is a separation in your life between your beliefs and your behavior, and when I say beliefs, I mean the beliefs that come from this book, that is defined as sin. And sin separates us from God. In 1 Corinthians, he reads it like this. Do not be deceived. The, godly will not, the godless will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor liars, nor the sexually immoral. When I read those verses, that sobers me. Jesus preached more on hell than he did on heaven. And it's this, this pastor's heart that we would not be a community, that you wouldn't be a viewer, that we wouldn't be the kind of people that, how did this, that got to the same place that the Sadducees did because they didn't like a truth, so they just tossed it out of their belief system. I think it's time that we become the kind of church that, that we, be, we need a, everyone talks about a revival. You know what we need? We need a Bible revival. We need a Bible revival because repentance always precedes revival. Cleansing always precedes a christening of God's blessing. And if we began to get our feet back to the altar, get our face back in the carpet, learn what it is to weep over our wrongdoings, weep over our wrongdoings again, learn what it is to be broken over our sin, not excusing it or ignoring it, but broken for it. And so God, please, Pour out your grace, save me, to commit our lives to say, listen, there is enough power in Jesus for every single one of us to live a godly life. There is enough power in Jesus to set you free from sexual addiction. There's enough power in Jesus to set you free from drug addiction. There is enough power in Jesus for you to stop having to cover yourself by lies all the time. There's enough power in Jesus for you to not pass on uh, uh, people's in, um, confidentiality to you in gossip. There's enough power in Jesus to help you do what you need to do to be the person. How does a Sadducee get to where they get that they ask a stupid question that they don't even believe and yet Jesus is still willing to answer it? They get there because their beliefs separate from their behaviors and then in the end it leads to destruction. I, I, I just want us to stand across this room right now. I believe the power of the Holy Spirit. God has to speak to you. I can't, I can't, listen, if I could talk you into eternity, it feels more like I could talk to you for eternity. I can't talk you into eternity. You have to do that. There are some of you here, your behavior and your beliefs are separated and you're, you're like, I'm good, I'm cool, Jesus. No, you're not good. You're not cool. You're not right with God. That's sin and he wants to reckon. There's only one way to deal with sin. It's this, you repent of it. That's the only way to deal with sin. You repent of it. You say, God, please, you don't, you don't hide it. You don't stuff it. You don't excuse it. You don't take a, a white out marker to the Bible, but you repent of it. And you say, and, and this is a very personal thing with Jesus. And it's a very private thing with Jesus. And, you know, don't forget the story when the two people went up to the front and there was one that said, oh Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this person. Don't you worry about what somebody else comes forward for. Forget about that. Who cares what people think? All that matters is what God thinks. But there are some of you in this room, I know it. Your belief and your behavior are so separated. It's like an anchor that got cut off and you're drifting and you're saying, how did I get to this place? And it's that you've lost the ability to be broken over the things that God's broken over, your sin. 
your sin. And, and he wants you to do the thing that resolves it, to repent of it, and to allow him to let his power help you to live the truth. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to pray. And the second that I begin praying, if that's you and you're saying, I need to get my life right, you're going you're gonna to come up here. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask if you're an elder, if you uh, are a pastor or a former pastor, pastor, pastor Dick and Mickey are here. I'm going to ask you to come up because sometimes it takes help. We find freedom together. I'm going to ask you to come forward real quick and just make yourself available. And here's the thing. Maybe you might want to go to one of these people, or maybe you want to go to a place in the carpet, or maybe you represent what I just mentioned, and you're saying, I know, Pastor, you're asking me to come pray for people, but I got to get right. That's okay, too. But let's find freedom this morning together. Amen? Father, right now, I pray. I believe with all of my heart the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's not our job. It's your job to do that. I believe you put your finger on things, places where people's belief and their behavior have separated and they've drifted so far and they're like, how did I get here? And Lord, we're not, you're not looking for people to, to, to be punished in disgrace. You're looking for people to face truth so that you can bring forgiveness and that you can bring power and you can bring grace and you can set us free and that we could experience the resurrection of Jesus' life right here and now, that we don't have to wait for heaven to come, but that we can be filled with heaven and that we could move from a struggle to setting people free. We could move from a battle to fighting the battle of the Lord. We could move from defeat and Lord God, from discouragement to victory in Jesus' name. And so right now, I pray you would release your anointing, you would release your freedom, and you would release people to find freedom together with others that are here. As we look to you, God, forgive us. Lord, as Daniel prayed, and it didn't even apply to him, we are sinful people. Lord, we want to experience the glory of God. We want to experience revival. But God, that'll never happen until we cover the altar again in tears. It'll never happen until we embrace your word. Father, fill us with a hunger for you and a thirst for righteousness and a desire to be broken over our sin and a, and a dedication, a commitment to be like Jesus. Release the anointing in this place. Break the yoke that's held us back, Lord. Break the things that have entangled us. Break the things that have kept us from coming back home to you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I'm going to ask you, if that's you, you come forward, and as we sing this, people will pray with you, people will pray for you, or you can find a space to pray with them. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us for service today. To rewatch today's sermon, you can search for it on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. And again, to keep up with all that's going on here at the church, you can go on lolag.org or ne-cc.org. Thank you again and have a great day.